0: Uh, my husband, Tom Zielinski, wrote a book with his podcast partners called Best Pick that goes with his podcast. It's about the Oscars and about film. And the other night he had a little book launch downstairs in the Waterstones. And when I got mm. to the top of the stairs, the woman said, and could I have your name, please? Because I need to tick you off a list. And I said, my name is Deborah Francis White, but I'm the wife of one of the authors. And she was like, oh, impressive. And I said, I know, I feel very, I'm the wife of one of the authors of a celebrated man. And I said, look, normally he comes along and says, I'm Deborah's husband or Deborah's producer. And I was loving being a wife. Like there was no pressure on me. All I got to do was admire the man and just be like, my husband wrote this book, my husband, my husband. And I was really enjoying it, to be honest. I had like, it was an hour and a half of being Betty Draper and it was just wonderful.
3: (laughs) You were being the first lady of Oscar trivia literature.
0: That's exactly what I was. And I, Onassis. oh, it was wonderful. I was so Jackie O. And mm. I wore quite a floaty dress and I was there going, have you, have you seen my husband's book? Would <laughs> you like to have your book signed by my husband in the corner? I never really used the word husband very much because I sort of think we're partners and in so many ways. Yeah. But I was really enjoying it. I don't like the word wife and I don't really like the word husband either. I find it too grown up for what I am or what I have. Like I feel it makes me too grown up. Yeah. But I'm coming into a space where I'm like, I'm a, I felt like it was really nice to kind of admire my husband's achievements. You could call him Lit Husband, like literature. Lit Husband. husband. Lit Husband. Yeah. Because
3: literature and lit yes. at the same time.
0: These are good suggestions. I'll write uh, these down. Yeah. we have got <laughs> any more.
3: Book Boy. I'm trying to figure out this stuff Book Boy. Book,
0: <laughs> book Boy, I think, <laughs> lowers his sex appeal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, that yeah. makes <laughs> him sound like like Robin. Like, yeah. like there's some superhero of literature and he's Book Boy. He's he just carries boy. the bag. I don't... Listen, Tom Solitsky okay. will be editing this. We're
3: spitballing. We're going fitballing. rapidly downhill.
4: They, are, yes, they? Indeed. Yes. indeed. We, uh, we need to bring man into
0: this somehow. Um, um, yeah. What do you think? We need to brainstorm this with a man.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 I'm a feminist, but I need a male voice right now. Indeed. Um, I'm a feminist, but I was trying to think of I'm a feminist, but uh, on the train on the way here. And all I began to think of was merchandise. And I think, you know, the way uh, 2000s uh, fashion is come back in i see a lot of people have writing on the back of their bums on uh tracksuit oh, yeah, and like stuff. Juicy yeah. Type. Yeah, yeah juicy couture i'm thinking we can have a i'm a feminist dot 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 written on the back of someone's butt and it could be a joke of i'm a feminist oh. but i just i just really like communicating through writing on your arse so, i, I want to yeah. get a pair of trousers that say help on the back of it <laughs> and we'll see how many people uh answer that call
0: what, more like, how's my walking? Ring this number. Exactly. <laughs> I, <laughs> Which is my number. <laughs> you were looking. <laughs> <laughs> <Got it. laughs> yeah. um, listen, yeah. listeners, if you want Alison Spittles merch ideas, i.e. tracksuit bottoms yeah. with I'm a feminist dot, 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 written on them on your butt, uh, then please uh email guiltyfeminist at gmail.com or DM us and tell us there's a demand for those. Yeah, I'll those... do a
4: Kickstarter, mate. It's, it's pretty suggestive.
2: I would wear it.
0: I'm a would feminist. We've, got,
4: oh, we've got, got, got We've got merch. Yeah. We can we can ask butt. for them. We yeah. can see
0: if our merch store would do them. We could start off with
3: mouse pads and then bring it up to <laughs> we, we how would mouse pads be the butt
0: though? I don't know. i thought <laughs> the whole point. People have mouse pads. The same Wait, way that people have writing on the back of their arms. Computer mouse pads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I just don't computer mouse pads I for mice. Know. Knee
3: pads. <laughs> <laughs> well, like incontinence pads for mice. No, and little tenner, little mice pads. <laughs> I
0: mean, um, these are all strong ideas. Yeah, um, you think
3: we could bring in the little I think, little, strong, I think we need a man.
0: <laughs> strongest of possible ideas uh, we will we will get back to you listeners if any of these come to fruition, but if you do yeah. want those track pants we can ask the merch store what they can do. Um, I'm a feminist but yeah. today, yeah. I saw a picture of my biological grandmother I'd never seen before. Wow, oh, wait. Yes. Yeah. I saw it on Facebook and I paired it immediately with
3: a no. picture of myself okay sorry i just hit there because yeah that looks very very similar
4: it's a big cheekbones yeah Cheek
0: but my Your nose eyebrows is the same my eye shape is the same my lips yes. are the same
4: you know, the eye the, the raised eyebrow expression is the same yeah. i mean
0: i found my biological family through the eyebrow <laughs> and it's true through the shape of my eyebrows that's how i found them And I had a name and the shape of my eyebrows. That's all I had. And I've done a show about it. I never met my biological grandmother because she'd left us before uh, I found them. Yeah. But I said to Tom, what do you think? And he said, wow. And I said, do you think we look alike? And he said, yes, but you're prettier. Well, you would want that. And I'm a feminist. (laughs) But for just a second, I felt delightedly competitive with my own dead (laughs) grandmother. (laughs) And with my own late grandmother, I should say. Let me do that again. With my own late grandmother. Yeah. I mean, it's not any better, is it? Like, just leave the whole thing in Tom. It's not any better. Um, for prettiness, like, we were two girls at high school together and yeah. a boy had said that I was slightly prettier.
3: Uh, I'm a feminist, but last week I was going to a hen do in Butlins. I decided to step back into the eyelash perm game again. And I was in a basement in Camden where this woman put this... Stuff that made It smelt like burnt hair Ooh. On my eyelashes Ooh. And she said Uh-oh. Please don't open your eyes For 15 minutes You may become blind And uh, I lay there With my eyes really shut For about 15 Ooh. minutes Thinking Ooh. Is the curl worth it? And listeners It is, ah! it is. <laughs> Blindness Yeah ah. <laughs> There's a I just I just looked and I was like, Yeah, it's i it, 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 i think it's the same way people uh, go abseiling or something like that. There's a sense of danger. I like to do that with my uh, beauty treatment. So they
0: curl them. I had this done once. They curl it, yeah. I let we have a look. Yeah, they are good. Do you think so? Yeah. They I don't are know, because they
3: were like they were they're real droopy. I never looked at my eyelashes before. Be
0: completely honest with you. I am 25% prettier with false eyelashes on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like... It's such a dramatic difference.
3: My eyelashes normally, they're like a little celebrity coming out of a hotel trying to hide their identity. Like, it's just, it's like a baseball cap across <laughs> my eyes. And they just <laughs> they put down. their hands
0: up going, no photos, please. Exactly. And then, so what you've done is paid a lady to blind slash beautify <laughs> you. Yes. And now you see 25% less world, well, but... Oh, my Lord. Those celebrities are coming out as if onto to a red carpet in a burger.
3: I'm Lady Gaga at
0: the Golden Globes. Just go and love me, please, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm a feminist, but I have a note here in my diary which just says, I'm a feminist, but use feminism to justify pastries. <laughs> I don't know what this refers to, but I make notes when something happens because I think, you know, I need a lot of these. And so if something happens and I think, oh, God, that's an I'm a feminist, but I'll write it down. I don't remember how I used feminism to justify pastries, but I obviously did. (laughs) (laughs) I clearly now I the, the thing that I can think of is I was in Portugal. And so I was having worlds. what do they call Pasti- pastel, pastel donata? Donatas. Past, past, yeah. past, 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 past pastel, pastel donata. Okay. Yes, I was pastel gone. donata, and I can't remember why, but I know I had more than my fair share and someone else's fair share of pastel donata.
3: Maybe you took a man's one. Maybe you took like half, <laughs> what's the percentage of that men get paid more than women? Maybe you I, took that back in pastries.
0: It's <laughs> so unknown to me how I could have used fair to justify pastries, but I must have said something like, well, if I'm not having pastries here, I don't know. I'm denying myself. I don't know. You, but I clearly used feminism, which is something good and righteous and important, yeah. and about closing power imbalances to justify eating more custard tarts. You're, you're leaning
4: in
3: over the pastries and just sniffing it in.
0: My God knows
3: what I I'm think doing. I it's
4: because the voice telling you you shouldn't have those pastries is definitely an anti-feminist voice maybe that is maybe. the patriarchy that's, that's genuinely anything.
0: It seems that's, like it must be more than that though something happened it'll probably occur to me in the middle of the night where there was an altercation with a man or something
3: well do you think like i i really love your idea of a voice telling you like stuff that you want to do i imagine the voice of a of a great feminist person like uh, Men for for me like Mary Robinson, who was like the former president of Ireland, I imagine her voice going go on, Alison, enjoy it, you deserve it, fuck the patriarchy. And when it's someone telling me something to do that I don't want to do, like, Alison, why don't you go walk to the shop? It'll be it'll be the voice of my nemesis, so it'll be like. Alison, why don't you walk to the shops? You know, like who who is it? uh, Winston Churchill. Trump. Trump. Winston Churchill. Yeah. Trump. We'll 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 get them on the beaches. (laughs) I try to do an impression. of Don't eat that
4: pastry. Yeah,
3: yeah. Alison, don't eat that pastry. (laughs) That's that's my Winston
0: Churchill. Maybe it was something like that.
3: Um, I'm a feminist, but. I was at a hen party last weekend and uh, it was in Butlins and we had a massive inflatable penis as you do for the hen party and I was bringing it in to see Boys Life who are a super group. Imagine if the best members of Westlife and the best members of Boyzone stayed at home and Keith Duffy and Brian McFadden turned up and became Boy's Life.
0: Oh. Uh, and we
3: were bringing in a massive inflatable penis, but it wasn't allowed in. So I had to walk home from all, so on my own back to the chalet. It's about like a half a mile away. What? In the dark with a massive penis in my hands. Like It was as big as me, this penis. And I won't lie, Deborah. I felt powerful <laughs> I did I did do it I ran into lots of men on the way and uh, they were commenting on my large penis and yeah. then uh, I would comment on theirs so hey. <laughs> yeah I felt very powerful
0: how come you everyone else got to go in and see Boys Life
3: yeah I was the maid of honour so I had to do but a lot of
0: just, admin. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just leave the penis outside and yeah. go in. I couldn't
3: trust people to not to take that penis.
0: <laughs> Did you need it once the bride's seen it? <laughs> it can't was... you just let it go to the wind? I know that's yeah. not really for the environment.
3: Storm Eunice just takes in that penis. <laughs> I
0: mean... <laughs> But do you see what I mean?
3: Yeah. No, I can't know. Can't you just
0: deflate it and roll it up, or something like that? Like
3: a like a sleeping bag. Are we talking that? That's exactly hundred. And thinking. then when I took it under my arm like a little clutch bag, my deflated penis.
0: Exactly. And <laughs> they can't stop you taking that in. I mean, yeah, that's
3: true. I I just.
0: I would never walk home half a mile. I just say, look, this penis has come to the end of its life. The bride's seen <laughs> it. We I don't s- need it anymore.
3: I just throw it into the sea like free willy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Just let it dive over my head. And can I say dunk? From an undisclosed location in North London, the spontaneity shop presents the guilty feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guests, Matilda Mannison and Helena Wadia, talking about next wave journalism. This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Frances-White, with me is Alison Spittle and we're talking about next wave journalism. journalism. Yes, journalism for, for the 21st century, journalism yes. for feminism. Yeah. And journalism that doesn't do what it's tended to do in the past, which is to report the story from the POV mm. of the dominant group.
3: Well, I'm kind of very used to like uh I I've I've stopped watching
0: uh, current uh, current event
3: media I thought you gonna say Coronation street then well have as well because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's
0: not yeah. a journalist program
3: <laughs> both both for both reasons they, they make me depressed <laughs> 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 um, but like uh, I, I used to be an avid avid consumer of uh, of current affairs media and it would often be just people debating with each other about an abstract concept but was actually people's lives. Mm. And it was uh, coming from Ireland and uh, we uh, there was two referendums, uh, one on uh, gay marriage and the other one was on abortion. And it often felt like, especially in the run-up of... Uh, uh, to the referendum on abortion it felt like uh, people were arguing about an abstract concept of something that really affected my life
0: mm. so it's uh, they were arguing inside your uterus oh yeah yeah they yeah. were getting up there you'd watch two men sons' uterus yes. up your uterus yes poking about there going as a hypothetical like looking at it like you know they had <laughs> blueprints they knocked down this wall is this
3: my new kink
0: is this this, is this this new... <laughs> Only you can answer that. I That's true. <laughs> Only you can answer that. Um, yeah. But they'd be like, yeah, no, no, no. We want to keep it like this. Keep the original features. Yes. And you'd be like, this is literally a part of my body. It's on a cellular level. This is impacting me.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's impacting me. And I also felt like where people would say very, very strong things about stuff, it felt like it was directed at me, even though it wasn't. But it would still kind of hurt the same way. It's like I used to consume a lot of true crime and murder stuff. And then someone close to me uh, got murdered, and Mm. I don't consume true crime anymore Mm. because it's just it's just a different, yeah, a different vibe. Anyway, don't mean to start off the podcast on that, but (laughs) great A banter so far, and this is great (laughs) uh, banter
0: about how you can no longer. true crime because of it's so the, annoying that's a real I'm a feminist but Alison if you don't Do you mind think, me saying yeah, I'm I a feminist but, but yeah. because somebody close to me was killed I can no longer enjoy true crime and that's it's the so I'm the real victim
3: I know I feel <laughs> i yeah. I feel, I feel, yeah. It's a, it's a very kind of first world problem. It's, I mean,
0: it's it isn't it isn't. I can see it being an all world problem. Someone yes. being killed, but that's a great example that when something's happened to you, it no longer seems abstract. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. a bit like um, I think when I was younger there was that, you know, that heat magazine. Um, circle of shame? Yeah, like they'd put Isn't red rings around our, people's cellulite.
3: Seared into our psyches that you just say heat and then like circle of shame.
0: Yeah, you knew. Yeah, you, straight, you, away. straight away. Absolutely. And I think at the time, I thought it was awful, but I didn't understand what it would be like yeah. because I, hadn't, I was nowhere near in that celebrity world or anything like that. So I didn't have any kind of connection to anyone who that might happen to. Mm. And thankfully i think they've stopped doing that now and it's not like people are following me around constantly trying to photograph my cellulite anyway if i'm completely honest but <laughs> i can now sort of because i've got so many friends who are actors and things like that go yeah. oh my god like that is a real person with real cellulite
1: I know. and that's so
0: invasive and you know like uh, this is this is by the way Celebrity Selling Night is not the worst. They're not the worst victims. Again, I feel like I've veered into. I'm a feminist, but let's today talk about proper journalism. And let us think about the thighs of the noughties. Glamour model. Yeah,
3: I'm sorry I started off with murder. I mean, I've really,
0: I really, feel I've brought the tone right down. I'm delighted but, you have. I, have. I mean, maybe I'm to. just trying to make it entertaining. Yes, and, exactly. You know, exactly. Um, but you know what I mean. It I feels do. like as soon as it's, if, it, if, if we could think about it as if it were imagine it was your leg and someone was literally shaming it. Like, what's wrong with this leg? It's like, nothing's fucking wrong with the leg. Yeah. This is how women have bubbly bits. Yeah. And that's just how we are. Genuinely, since I have famous friends, like
3: I have a friend and she's like, uh, she's doing really well. And I'm still in the little green uh, Instagram circle, you know, the close friends. Oh, you're in
0: close friends with someone who's doing really well. You waiting to get, you waiting for her to... I am. You're thinking any day now I'm going to, well, I'm not going to see any more of these close friends and I'm going to think totally. if I've being dropped.
3: I'm very much reassessing our friend. Are you, like, are you,
0: you're not Wagatha Christieing her, are you?
3: No, not at all. No. Oh, imagine.
0: This is the proper journalism of Wagatha Christie. Next journalism. That story is still being reported on. I need. There's a court case going on.
3: Oh, there's such intrigue. Now that is a, look, that's the type of crime I'm into at the moment. It's very low stakes.
0: Wait till it happens to you. Wait, wait, I know. wait till I report to the press something you've said in Close Friends. <laughs> then you'll be like, I can't watch Wagatha Christie Christy anymore. Yeah. It really hurts. It's very painful. My basement me. got
3: flooded, you know, and <laughs> so
0: I know, I, listen, I know when you're lying. I, I, know, I would never yes. report one of the lies because I'd know, I'd be like, she's, she's doing this just for me. I bet I'm the only close friend on her. Do
3: you know, can I just say, I think being friends with you, Deborah, mm. has made me uh, think of Kim Kardashian like a human being. And I think I didn't before. No, okay, a, We need to pause it yeah. right the
0: fuck there. <laughs> Why does being friends with me make you think of Kim Kardashian at all? Well, because like you are like
3: you know the podcast as well. You are you are famous to a degree in. You know
0: we can discuss. It might be. I think let us be clear about the enormous, great big fuck off. God. <laughs> the Grand Canyon between the guilty feminist, yeah. and. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Yeah. I think, in so many ways, some of and listen. In some ways, I'm very happy about that golf. Yeah, uh, because it's a golf of I think uh, uh, worthy content, uh, worth worthwhile, <laughs> worthwhile content. Yeah. Um, just, in another way, mm-hmm. the Kardashians—they're one of the I think only household names now. I think you know most people are only famous in a niche, mm-hmm. but I think nearly mm-hmm. everyone in the world knows who the Kardashians are whether they want to or not yeah I feel I don't impose myself on people who don't want to know me I feel like people who find me uh, and find the podcast are delighted to have it and that's wonderful and I hope you are listeners I hope I'm not assuming that Um, but I think I have not imposed myself on the world the way the Kardashians have because I'm too polite
3: well I think well like (laughs)
0: I feel- <laughs> there are many people who don't want to know me, and I'm I'm like that's absolutely good with me. Like, yeah, if you yeah, don't yeah, want to know yeah, me, yeah. you won't.
3: You won't be in a Pepsi ad, like, like, giving a policeman a can of Coke or something Listen, like that. Would if, you do that? <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I, I mean, I really, really, really hope that I would never give a police officer a can of Coke and by doing that save the world and uh, solve racism. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that with the full knowledge that I don't know what she was offered and what's your price that's the thing what's the price if you're offered 10 million quid it's probably you have to really go to bed then going yeah. I can happily say no to 10 million quid but, yeah so I might go oh well I could do good things with that 10 million quid
3: maybe she was offered like world peace <laughs> maybe it's like the devil has done a deal no I wouldn't do, no it.
0: I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it I wouldn't I listen okay. the, de- look, the devil's not buying souls anymore not in this economy I'd be <laughs> lucky to have my soul optioned <laughs> by the devil if I, he'd, at most he would, he would Inflation
3: has gone Yeah No yeah. but
0: also just with the pandemic And things I don't think souls are being bought anymore
3: No I think it's yeah, more it's like It's very much a seller's market
0: Yeah like I stage, think it's yeah. more like I think the deal with the devil now Is the devil says You need to sell your soul to the public Right Through the memes of Instagram and TikTok And I will merely look on, laugh, and take 10% of the profits that you get for being an influencer. I think it's more like that now. The devil's more your agent. The devil
3: would be a great
0: agent. He helps (laughs) you sell your soul. I think I once was represented by the devil, but it's only lasted six months. (laughs) Then he dropped me for being a woman. Um, You know, this is all I'm saying. And I think the devil is an agent who allows us to sell our souls to the public. Yeah, And Kim's got a much higher price for her soul Than I have for mine Let's be completely honest
3: But I I feel that like This is my point I feel sometimes with your Like we can debate about your level of fame or whatever Yeah let's Um, Yeah we're not (laughs) But uh, I feel that sometimes People will often take people within bad faith Because they're famous Mm. And I think So I don't do that with Kim Kardashian anymore Mm. I try and think of the nicest reason of why she would do that and oh. then, you know, keep quiet and, about and,
0: it. And being friends with me has helped you be more generous with Kim Kardashian because you're imposing on her an integrity yes. that you need to impose on me.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> need that? to or? No, not need to, <clears throat> see, That see? yeah, do you get me? I mean, this I think a- after
0: the podcast, we're going to need to explore this in further detail. But I think <laughs> have i have to myself far to the line of me being a parallel for Kim Kardashian in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Said, I'm flattered because I, I know that, Alison, there's one thing I know about you. You are so generous and you would never say anything spiteful. You are only generous in your, you're so been- kind. No, you're so, so kind. And so I know that you've meant that in the loveliest possible way. Did it come out bad? No, it's just, no, no, not at all, not at all, not at all. It's more that I know that if somebody else said, you remind me of Kim Kardashian, because you've taught me to think about being generous to people or something like that, they might not mean it nicely, but I know you could only ever mean it nicely.
3: Absolutely. Because you're a very
0: generous person and you really do, you really are, you're a very big supporter of other women.
3: Well, some women (laughs)
0: No, you are. No, you are. You are. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah on the 5th of March for International Women's Day Week. That's right. We get a week. We will be in Brighton. And I am very excited to tell you that the Guilty Feminist tour guests for the opening night of the show include Jessica Hines... From Spaced and W1A herself and our Royal Albert Hall show, Zoe Lyons off all over the telly and The Guilty Feminist, introducing Sakisa, who is an incredible new emerging comic. Plus, we have both Jess Robertson and Grace Petrie doing music and a very special guest, Laurie Penny talking about her new book. If you are in Brighton or can get to Brighton, do not miss this show. On the 6th of March, also for International Women's Day Week, we we're in Nottingham with Jade Adams, Jen Brister, Celia B, and Jess Robinson. And the tour continues throughout the spring and summer. We're coming somewhere near you. Go to guiltyfeminist.com and find out where. On the 31st of March, we've got Campus Springtime. If you had a ticket for Campus Christmas, it's still yours. Uh, If you haven't got one yet, there's still some left and all the money goes to LGBTQ plus refugees and also alarming Syrian schools. And for people who've been asking, when are you going to do your Guilty Feminist Stand-Up show again, Deborah? Well, I'm glad you've asked. All the tickets are sold out at WOW, but April 26th to 7th of May, I'm back at Soho Theatre. So if you saw it, tell your friends. If you haven't seen it yet, It's all about coming out and going in. It's a very personal show. It's one that I'm not going to be putting on the podcast because it's too personal. So please come along, book tickets for that now. I'll also be in Australia and New Zealand with Grace Petrie touring The Guilty Feminist in July. And you can get tickets for all of these things at guiltyfeminist.com and clicking on live. You can join our Patreon if you'd like ad-free episodes and exclusive Zoom hangouts at patreon.com slash Feminist. And now, back to the podcast. Our first guest today is a multimedia journalist who's been published across leading national news outlets and the co-founder of Refugee Media Centre, which works to improve refugee representation in the press. She is joined by a multimedia journalist and presenter, who focuses on feminism, social justice, and interviewing her favourite indie music stars. <laughs> she has appeared on BBC Newscast, Times Radio, and on Channel 4's Inspiring Women panel. And together they have created the amazing new podcast, Media Storm. Please welcome Matilda Malinson and Helena Wadia. Hi.
4: Hey. hey, Guilty
0: Feminists. Hello. Um, thank so you nice. so much, Matilda Malinson and Helena Wadia, for joining us today on The Guilty Feminist. Do you have any of your own I'm a Feminist, buts? I actually weirdly had quite a few I'm a feminist butts come up this week alone.
2: Oh, but, wow. Um, so guilty week for Helena. It was a guilty week for me. So I'm a feminist, but I persuaded my sister not to buy a red dress for her 30th birthday party. Not because I didn't think it would look nice on her or it wasn't appropriate, but because I
0: wanted to wear a red dress. <laughs> oh, oh! For her, her 30th? Year. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh, whoa. It's, it's her 30th. She's allowed to wear red. You have to wear any complimentary color. But well, my dress is really nice. What reason oh, did wow. you give
2: her? Oh, I was just like, "Oh, I don't think that one's uh, that one <laughs> wow. was, was is, is nice." Well,
0: if if, if Helen, the sister if you're listening. Um, and she will be because she's so lovely and supportive. Oh, oh, oh what's her name? Ali. Ali, you go get that red dress and, <laughs> in fact, wear Helena's red dress. Yeah. yeah. She's got to lend it to you now.
3: Yeah, you're going to look like you're in a girl band. I love it
0: now. Oh, yeah, you could go as twins. <sighs>
2: oh, yeah, she would love that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Matilda? I'm a feminist, but as you can see, I've somewhat injured my pelvis and when I was. Okay, the listeners, well, at the home listeners. are not.
0: What are they going to think about? Matilda's that, on crutches. Okay, Matilda's on crutches. Matilda's that doesn't imply crutches. she's
4: hurt her pelvis. Matilda's injured her pelvis. Mm-hmm. And when I was. Uh, <laughs> I love that you you're
3: referring to yourself <laughs> in Like Craig David is injured. <laughs> <laughs> Craig David all over your pelvis.
5: <laughs> oh, <laughs> she, I
3: mean, who oh wouldn't want that? I know, actually, he's going up. <laughs> I mean. I
4: know. Um go anyway. on. Off track. Yes. Anyway, I injured my pelvis. Oh really? <laughs> And when I was getting the x-ray and waiting to find out if I had broken my back for the second time in my life. Yes. I was just counting my lucky stars that I had gotten my holiday bikini wax before stripping to my knickers for the male oh. radiologist. Because <laughs> you're lying on the table with your trousers by your knees and your, your top by your bra. Just thinking, this could be even more awkward. Oh. I, I love
3: that you're worried about him seeing your labia, but not your bones. You're like, <laughs> oh, you can go deeper. Like, like, yeah,
4: I know. <laughs> yeah,
0: Matilda's like, wow. broke
2: my back once. I'll do it again.
0: Yeah. Wow, wow, so much to unpack there. I love um, it. Firstly, I do not want Craig David anywhere near me or my pelvis. Okay. <laughs> Men who speak about themselves the in the third person need not apply. Um, secondly. I mean I think if I'm completely honest, although I also like a bikini wax, I think doctors have seen it all and non waxing's coming back. So they, I know like it's, it coming um, they I know. might they might when they see unwaxed, um, unwax, they might think are, you know very trendy very very happening very <laughs> at the moment
4: so really you're telling me that very hot i happening. should have been feeling self conscious about the fact N- that i no. did have no, because oh, yeah, <laughs> has gone out of fashion every
0: woman <laughs> should just turn up with whatever she's got going on down there and uh, any every person with yes. whatever they've got going on down there hair or no hair or mm. somewhere in between yeah we should all be confident of what we've got however that's never going to happen if
3: i if i <laughs> i've to get my pelvis x-rayed i'm going to like Make, I think, like a merkin out of like a Brillo pad give myself oh, wow. some metallic The way cubes. you said
2: that was like you were going to go on a night out. Like, well, if I ever get my pelvis x-rayed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm
3: going to go back home. saving some, up. Yeah, like it's, like it's a blue Peter kind of makeover. It's like, get some sticky black plastic and some yeah. uh it's, um,
0: it's either go to Mallorca or get my pelvis examined. I can't work out. Okay. I'm going to go I'm for gonna the x-ray. I recommend
4: it. I am currently sitting here on opiates for this oh. Baby. Oh. Is that allowed?
0: Yeah.
3: Yes. I love the way that you're like, uh, pubes are covered back. As if it's like uh, plaid shirts or something like that. I mean, how do we bees, know? Though.
0: I, can't, I, I will see. You know? I, I just, I just pick it up from the fashion. Um Like you I'm, pick
3: up the, the, the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the
0: fashion, the fashion pages. No, because um, I know it's, cause, yeah. it's, cause, it's it's because oh, it's because lots of young women, Gen Zers don't shave under their arms now. Yes. And I can yeah. see that. Yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah, believe yeah. they well, go I'll and have a Brazilian yeah. and then leave their arm hair.
3: That is genuinely my autumn winter season the look though is
0: pubes. <laughs> 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 when spring summer comes Not out. Yeah. Well, this is the thing is I feel if you're Gen Z and yeah. you've got, you know, underarm hair and a tattoo or underarm hair dyed blue. Everyone knows it's a style choice. Yes. For me, if I grow my underarm hair out, it's just going to look like I've let myself go. People are going to be like, they don't think it's a style choice for me. So I'm going to continue to be smooth.
3: I get you. But I feel like with me because I keep my armpits hairy at the moment and I think I'm holding on to bits of youth because I'm 30. Jesus, I'm 32 now. And I used to get ID'd a lot for alcohol. Mm. And now I just want to go up to someone and lift up my armpit. Uh, Is this not the armpit of a seventeen-year-old? You
0: know? uh, <laughs> ID
3: me now. You know?
0: Has that stopped? Has your IDing days? are they Yeah, over? and isn't it? But it's like you've got to go to America because they ID everyone there because it's twenty-one or over. And okay. so I think I could... Yeah, I mean, I've been ID'd very late in the day in America, and it's a wonderful feeling.
3: I really want to be ID'd again. Go to America. Okay, okay. I well, promise
0: you, you've got such a baby face, they will ID you in America. Brilliant,
4: brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Literally
0: go and buy booze you don't want just to be ID'd over there. Yeah. <laughs> On
4: a plane ticket to America. <laughs> exactly. Plane ticket to America,
3: please.
0: I need my self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so, yeah, hello. New wave journalism. That's what we're talking about today because. You're two journalists. You both went and did a master's in journalism and started working in newsrooms. What made you want to start your own newsroom?
2: I think what really made me want to do something more independent in journalism was that prior actually to becoming a journalist, I was working in TV and in TV production. And I was working on a um, shows, I was going to call them documentaries, but let's be honest, they're not. I was working on (laughs) shows that uh, were, for example, um, Help, I'm Addicted to Tanning. I'll let you guess what channel they were on. But um, I was working on those kind of shows and I just thought, oh, this is not the, the, the stories that matter. These are not the stories that I need to be telling and so that's definitely what made me want to get into journalism in the first place and then when Matilda and I were working together in a newsroom as a mainstream media outlet we realized that we were both struggling with the same thing.
4: Yeah for me there was a tipping point when I had managed to get the green light on a series on multicultural businesses that have been started in the UK by people who'd come here having fled war zones. And then suddenly there was this resurgence in people crossing the Channel and dinghies, and the editor pulled the series because, quote, they didn't want to encourage this kind of dangerous and illegal migration. Wow. Um, we, we then proceeded to publish a torrent of articles on channel migrants, not one of which had a single quote from anyone who'd ever crossed the channel or been displaced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really boiled up. I mean, it's a good thing I'm on opiates right now because I can feel feel the monster reviving. But I really flipped out. And drafted a letter to the editor, which Helena helped make a little less fireable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and it and and, and- we'll- Started rolling from that I love, I love that. Like you, you're
3: fantastic. As in, like I, I feel that you, you know, you're not perfect. And No one's perfect, <laughs> but you're trying to make the world a better place. You're basically like guilty journalists. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: I'm a journalist. You yes. yes. I'm, I'm a journalist. I hate part. the news. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> you
0: I'm a journalist, but it's I'm a journalist. But I hate the news. I <laughs> hate. <laughs> I'm a journalist, but I literally hate reading any of the news, (laughs) much less writing it. Um,
4: So what was your starting place with MediaStorm? So what occurred to me is an issue that affected migrants, and that occurred to me because that's the area in which I specialise. It became evident upon discussion with Helena and other people in the newsroom. This was a very scalable issue affecting lots of groups. So just like... People who've migrated irregularly are very rarely consulted in articles affecting them. So sex workers are very rarely consulted. People with disabilities, people who've been through the criminal justice system, people who've been homeless. Oh my God, we realized that that was a concept that had a lot of episodes in it. And every episode would be completely revealing in a completely different way, Mm -hmm. would be targeting and embracing different communities, bringing something new to very old stories by centering the perspective that maybe should have been centred all along, but by some miracle is missing from most of the mainstream coverage. And not only
2: did we want to speak to those people, we also wanted to hear from them about what we as the media could do better going forward when reporting on them and on the issues that affect them.
0: Journalism has in some ways been part of the problem of the story of
4: the world and the
0: way we see people and other people and uh, has sometimes been an enemy to feminism, hasn't it? Like, Mm. can you tell us more about that?
4: It's hard to know where to start here, but I'm going to start with the concept of balance and how we define balance in journalism, because that's kind of the... Um, Hot topic. The creed, yeah, of all journalists is to be balanced. And where we decide balances is is still defined by who has the power, who holds the platforms. And so sometimes some of the episodes that Helena and I have done on MediaStorm have struck some listeners, as imbalanced because we come from a very different starting point. We don't take the cultural conversation as the starting point. We go to the people directly affected by the issue as the starting point. Mm -hmm. We think that the conversations we should be having, the debates we should be having, Mm -hmm. should be determined by the people actually affected by an issue. So, for example, um, we did an episode on trans issues and I had some... Listeners come and ask me why or maybe they said maybe it was, they felt like one thing was missing, which was that we didn't discuss or explain J.K. Rowling's perspective. And I just have to say, we didn't actually talk about J.K. Rowling once in the episodes. I thought it was quite interesting that that came up. And when I said that, they were even quite surprised that, oh, why had that come to our mind? Isn't it telling that it feels amiss to have a conversation about trans issues without even touching on that perspective? I just found that very interesting. You know, I'm sure a hundred years ago, having a conversation, a debate about female participation in the workplace would have been amiss without asking Freud whether we were going to ruin everything by being really super horny or whatever. <laughs> but basically... Which we, we have
0: to
1: be
0: <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> sh- I mean, he wasn't wrong. He was not wrong. <laughs> I mean, Alison's Allison, already declared her penis envy. I, he yeah, very so, much so. <laughs>
3: It was, a, it was
4: a Freud-themed uh, it a head absolutely, party. Absolutely <laughs> Every was. head party is a Freud-themed absolutely, head party. Yeah. But like they, maybe we think that, that journalists, we shouldn't be afraid of steering away from debates yes. that people think are mandatory. Because actually so much of the conversation is taken up by really trivial us-versus-them issues that don't actually affect that many people.
3: Like, as a comedian, uh, like, I think maybe in the past, like, four or five years, there's been a few news stories that have come out about comedy. I went on to, like, a, I I was once... I, I had moved freshly over to England, and I was asked to go on this Really, really big radio show. And I was really excited about it, and they said, uh, "You're well. We want to debate about freedom of speech and comedy." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, I don't mind," you know. And it was uh, me and this lovely guy called Arthur Smith, who uh, is a comedian as well. And we're supposed to be on either side of this debate because he's an older white man, and I'm a younger uh, white woman. I don't know why. I, said <laughs> <white>. <laughs> I don't know why it said white. Absolutely. For him, yeah. Classic <laughs> TV debate
0: fodder. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> only white
3: people. Yeah. <laughs> Different ages, yeah, but and um, but we got on really well. We discussed. We were talking about freedom of speech and comedy. We both came from the same place practically, and it was I think it was John Humphreys. Is that his name? Yeah, he's retired. He's a lovely man.
0: Did you make him retire with your lack? Of, <laughs> your lack of polarized fighting.
3: It's because we were having a conversation and not arguing because we were just uh we were kind of both coming from the same place, which is that you know there's a, an illusion of freedom of speech and comedy. Like I feel. Uh, and you know what? Uh, the Daily Mail did a report on my podcast, Wheel of Misfortune, saying that it was terrible that the license fee money was going to a podcast uh, where people were talking about shitting themselves. I get that. Like, fair <laughs> enough. But there was a part of me that was like, where were the freedom of speech warriors and comedy t- for us then? Like, they come out for people that want to talk about that. It's not, yeah. it's not like it's. That's just, a great
0: point, Alison. Mm. Yeah. Did those angry comedians who leap to the defence of Ricky Gervais, say, yeah. why can't these two young women talk, talk about embarrassing shoes. moments <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, scatology, body functions, all feel. of those yeah. things, but they didn't, no one said anything.
3: No, they didn't say anything. And it's so when I did the conversation with Arthur Smith, I had one of the freedom of speech comedians get quite angry with me and say that I threw him under the bus. Uh, because. When I was getting interviewed, John Humphreys was going, would you be able to do material that's not Islamophobic? He read out the list. Mm. Basically, for context, for listeners, it was a news story, very flash in the pan. They come out every year about freedom of speech within comedy. A student uh, comedy night They were students, they weren't comedians, they weren't au fait with comedy. They asked uh, a comedian to sign a contract that would say you wouldn't do any uh, Islamophobic, racist, uh, sexist, transphobic material. And he did a joke himself uh, where it was like, well, this is what I would say. And it was that, you know, the joke was, and then that's like his right to do and everything. Mm -hmm. I don't even. I've no issue with that joke in a way. He was just saying, well, I can't say anything. So when John Henry came up to me and said, what would you be able to do? this comedy night and then he read out all the bits and I was thinking yeah I have a, I have a bit about pissing into a pint glass that I think is not Islamic phobic or, yeah. trans- <laughs> or you know I didn't say that on Radio 4 but I was like yeah <laughs> I could do it like I was mm. genuinely, I, I, I don't think I'm a better person or anything like that it was just I was asked a question and I answered it mm. and it was strange and I get but Arthur
0: Smith's the nicest person in the world I've never heard him do racist material or exc- no. exclusionary material I, I love Arthur Smith I, do
3: you know it was great it was a, I had a great time I got free pastries <laughs> <laughs> awesome. did you justify know. those pastries yeah. through feminism? I did, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, so, so, you know, to be, and you're part of a news cycle there, mm. you know, and uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about, like, you know, your, your podcast coming from, is it, I suppose, is this coming from, like, a perspective of you're not getting people to debate about abstract ideas about people talking about their lived experience?
2: Well, exactly. So many, especially minority groups, get caught up in those kind of, debates it's, on tv yeah. and in articles and they get so caught up in these like unnecessary polarized i'm gonna say it culture wars yeah. oh my God. So, you know what we wanted to do was approach it from the way where those people that are caught like in the eye of that media storm who we talk about them all the time these people we talk about trans people talk about refugees talk about migrants talk about disabled people all this kind of stuff but do we ever really hear from them properly?
0: Yeah. Well, where they're really giving the mic. Yeah. And actually, it's what I love. And I must declare my interest in Media Storm because I, um, it's from the House of the Guilty Feminist. But I really did want to have you on, and I would have you on even if this was not from the House of the Guilty Feminist, because I love what you're doing in terms of you're really giving the mic. And you're not giving the mic and saying, here's the three questions about J.K. Rowling or about whatever it is.
4: You're saying, what would you like to say? Yeah, we're not saying... Justify your existence, yes. mm. right? Which is kind of the first barrier for anyone who has um, immigrated to this country in order to claim asylum or has been through the criminal justice system. That's not the question that we're asking them. That's not the debate we're having. And we're kind of rejecting. Mm. where society is in that debate mm. and asking yeah what are the questions you think should be asked. So and it's
0: fascinating about this you're starting from a different neutral.
4: Yeah. It, exactly. You're
0: not you're not assuming that the current debate yeah and where where the middle of that is is where the seesaw should begin. Mm. You're going okay let's just leave all of that behind so many other people are doing that we don't need a podcast on that everyone's doing that. Let's take it over here and go you pick the question you say where the middle is and that's really exciting. Yeah,
4: which might make us be seen as imbalanced if you have a traditional idea of what balance Yay. is but we have an unconventional idea of and imbalances. it's so
2: important to talk to those people that we're talking to with lived experience it's so important to ask them not only their their experiences but their expertise on the subject these people are experts mm-hmm. yeah. you know yeah. you don't need to ask a ceo of a homelessness charity for their expertise and then a person experiencing homelessness for their experience the person experiencing yeah. homelessness has expertise yeah. in that yeah. subject because so they've be, lived it.
4: Yeah, normally it would be, uh, you know, if you have an interview with someone who's been homeless at all, mm. um, it would be, you know, tell us how much you've suffered or how traumatizing mm. is this? Yes. Rather mm. than what do you think of the policy? Why do you think this policy isn't working? Yeah. Mm. And would this policy have worked for you? Mm. Yeah. I often find that media
3: want your trauma, but then they yeah. want you to tell them that you're okay. In order, Mm. like, I find out with mental, like, mental health, I don't know what the best word to say, but, like, I'm quite open about uh, my, like, I was going to say journey, uh, but, you know... Uh, Have you been on
0: X Factor? <laughs> I should know. Go.
3: Imagine going on X Factor, just go, I'm mentally ill. Let's get this out of the way first. I
4: mean, the mainstream me media, more. the news is not that different from X Factor in yeah, that, that way. Different. It's, it's not that different. Where they yeah. sort of
0: try and get you see, and I know, I know people yeah. who've done it, and it is true that the producers will say to people on those kinds of reality shows, could you talk about, you know, we've done some research and we know that you got in trouble for smoking marijuana at school could you talk about your drug problems yeah. and it's not like they didn't have a drug problem they <laughs> got kicked out of school because someone else had a joint and they had a Yeah, but like can you turn that into a story mm. where again you you milk your trauma yes. I'm not saying that specifically happened on X Factor I'm saying that as I know mm-hmm. that generic, yeah. g- generally from those but kind of shows it's
4: ac- accurate journalism is supposed to be accurate above all and, yeah. and that damages the accuracy of it do anyway. you know what actually just to go back to mm. X Factor it's <laughs> like a
3: big there's a big boom in the moment of like people that have been on X Factor, telling their story on YouTube. And it's so interesting. Mm. That's lived experience. They're experts on how X Factor works and everything. Oh. Isn't it it's, so exciting? It's like, an episode.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, genuinely. Can, because, I, can I ask yeah. about this turn of phrase, lived experience? Yeah, because yeah. I don't think everyone knows what it is. When I first heard it... I thought, well, all experience is lived experience. Why do you need to say lived? Can't you just say in my experience? Can you please unpack that? I think I get it now, but I want you to unpack it to see if I've got it right.
4: Well, so we think of experience often in terms of professional experience, experience in a sector. So the CEO of a race justice charity who is white might have experience in the area of race but they don't have lived experience I might have experience in the sector of immigration as an immigration reporter but I do not have lived experience of displacement Mm. yeah so it is yeah
2: yeah it's that personal knowledge that is gained from that first-hand experience
3: right so, so stuff you put on a CV is it, experience. So
0: is lived experience sort of, in some ways, the expertise you get from living in a world that doesn't support you or that marginalises you at times or that makes you feel a bit sometimes gaslit, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, because of it's, it's your... a stake.
4: I think that that's... that's... <laughs> It's the expertise that you get from that perspective, but it's also having a stake in it. Mm. You have an emotional stake in the issue because it directly affects you. And I think that there's a bit of a um, myth in journalism that if you have a stake in something, you are therefore partial, you're biased, and you cannot report on it accurately. Mm. But I don't think we acknowledge that not having a stake in an issue is a privilege, and that makes you... Biased in your yeah. own way. No one's in a vacuum. No, no. Look, yeah. There is
0: no neutral. Men in comedy used to look at me a bit like I was fantasizing that it was more difficult for women uh, in comedy or that we often had to deal with sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And I used to, I remember one time talking to three male comedians. I was the only woman there and I ended up crying because I felt so frustrated. It wasn't, like I was sad or they triggered me. I was just so frustrated yeah. that they were being patronizing to me and going, "Um, I mean, if you think that's what's going on, then you live in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And, When Me Too happened and millions of women came out and said that was their experience of being in male-dominated environments, um, and Me Too was largely driven by the entertainment industry, they can't now deny it. So if there was a similar argument in a dressing room, I would be the one looking at them like, so you're going to disregard that huge structural movement, and they would not have the emotional stakes anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, we'd all had experience of gender politics backstage, but I'd had lived experience of being on the marginalised end of that. They had not witnessed that. And I hear white people all the time going, well, I haven't seen anything racist in this company. Mm. And it's like, well, you haven't lived the microaggressions. Yeah. Is it that? Am I getting closer?
2: Yeah, it's absolutely that. And I think, though, a kind of problem that really good example raises, though, is that it did take millions of women Mm. to say Me Too for us to be believed. Whereas, you know, right now... There isn't like this millions of people having a movement about some of the topics we've covered on the podcast, like refugees or anti-Asian abuse. And I think it's so sad that it takes these global movements mm.
3: because for lived
2: experience to be believed.
3: It's people almost flagellating themselves. I feel like when lockdown number one happened and it was like June and there was a mm. big thing on Twitter about the Me Too movement within comedy. I had a breakdown in July because it was just too much. Sometimes... I feel whenever I get involved in news side of comedy, where I, because I sometimes I can't shut my mouth and I'll talk about stuff because it really annoys me, mm-hmm. and it doesn't do my career any good. Mm. Like I should, I should really keep quiet about it, but <laughs> but I feel like uh, I just feel so frustrated that I have to say something. But sometimes I have felt like that I have not, not been used as a wrong word, but I feel like maybe sometimes I feel frustrated with talking about your lived experience and then people listening and then nothing changes. Mm. I don't want that for other people. Mm. Like I don't want someone that's trans to go on television or something or an Asian person or anyone to talk about their perspective. I feel that the media as it is at the moment is a horrible machine for people. Yes. This is a
2: really important point and this is why the mainstream media definitely needs to represent these kind of minorities as more well-rounded, like normal people. Yeah. You know, when we hear about trans people or, or you know, any other minority group, we, we often hear these kind of negative um, trauma porn stories kind of thing and yeah this is why it is so important that you know in this kind of new wave journalism we learn to represent people as fully rounded human Mm. beings yes um you know we did an episode on fat phobia and like part of the episode was about medical fat phobia and how you know plus size people are going to the doctor and they're not being believed about their medical ailments because everything is being put down to their size yes I spoke to a professor who has created a course on how to treat plus-size people when they're at the doctor. And literally, the whole course is like, treat them like a human. And yeah. it is it is bonkers that we have to have a course to say, you know, treat this minority group as a human. Yeah. But unfortunately, that is something at the moment in the current state that we have to do.
4: Yeah, it is bonkers. And that is exactly the kind of argument we're trying to present within the journalism industry, treat these. It's something that seems so blatantly obvious, you know, Oh, maybe when we're talking about these issues, we should be including the voices of the people actually affected by them. But if you start looking at articles about migrants, about crime, and you start seeing the voices that are not there, you will realise that we are so far behind that standard when it comes to journalism. So when you say, oh, you don't want to see people going up and talking about their traumatic lived experience and nothing happens, this is where I think the media needs to like steer the wheel a little bit more strongly. Yeah. Because when we do have these lived experience testimonies given, they're put up as one side, one of the relevant voices in the debate, yeah. probably against someone who then disagrees. And actually, I think what we are arguing with this new wave journalism is that some voices are more important than others, some perspectives are more important than others, and that is the perspective of people with lived experience.
0: So what have you learned? You've now met a phenomenal number of people
4: who we wouldn't normally hear from. What have you learned from them? So one of the things that we have learned about the importance of prioritizing lived experience voices is that they can tell us very specific policy failings, Mm. very constructive ways that we can improve these chronic, apparently unsolvable issues that just haven't made headlines. I mean, for example, do you remember the Afghan resettlement scheme that mm-hmm. the government got a lot of political clout off after the Taliban takeover in oh. Afghanistan and they said, we're going to resettle all these people and everyone was, like, cheering them and it was a whole great hurrah of white saviorism. Yes. Well, we discovered from speaking to two Afghan sisters who were separated in incredibly dangerous, tenuous circumstances that this scheme was not operable months after it had been announced and all of that applause had been milked. It hadn't even opened. Yeah. What? <laughs> so so they got all
3: of the all of the claps and everything
4: mm-hmm. and the praise. And but it's not, still not still not functioning. The sister is still stranded. Yeah, she's saying the reason that I don't want to go out of my room, I'm scared that the people that I've been sold to them, they find me.
3: She's
4: saying I don't know what else to do. I'm just my only hope is to be with you.
0: that this government pretended to do something and actually did something else look I know it's, sh- <laughs> look, I know it's shocking uh, but you know what? we're here
2: to tell the truth guys so um,
0: we,
3: I would love to hear Boris Johnson's lived experiences of those parties. yeah like,
0: <laughs> I to say to be fair their party budget has been pretty high they haven't had a lot of funds to Boris Johnson
4: speaks as if he has lived experience when he gets mm. up and he talks about migration and he talks about how mm. it's oh it's stupid to get on a dinghy on the channel you think well clearly you you must think you know better I'm telling it, you if there the were climate change in London and he was in
0: any danger, <laughs> he would be on the first dinghy out he yeah. would be like, yeah. you know
4: that man in the <laughs> oh, Titanic
0: yeah, he who yes. grabs a child or pretends yes. to have a child. So. Now, Boris Johnson doesn't need to, <laughs> to pretend to have a child. Well, no. He pretends not to have children, he actually has. <laughs> but in all other ways, he's that guy on the Titanic. <laughs> and
4: then he he'd, he'd be saying, This is, six six is smart. He just grabs any six children and goes,
0: <laughs> Definitely, all mine. Definitely Look, all mine. Check it out on Wikipedia. They're all mine.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, another okay, another mind-blowing policy failure which we've just discovered on the one of the most recent episodes. We were looking at homelessness and um, and why it's so easy to fall into it. Mm. I spoke to a woman who left prison and struggled with homelessness and this is something many many people coming out of prison and particularly women face. By the way you have literally got women's prisons giving people tents on exits. But basically tens. Tens. yeah. You um because they've got nowhere to go. Yeah. And they're not there's have. such a shortage of accommodation. But then the other issue is okay when you come out of prison okay, it takes six to eight weeks for universal credit to come in. So if you don't have a support system, and you need benefits to get your feet on the ground, you can't apply six to eight weeks before leaving prison, you have to apply when you leave prison. So for six to eight weeks, these women have no benefits, they'll be put in, if they're lucky, they'll be put in accommodation, but they still have a fee that they have to pay, and no way of paying it, So when you were in the hostel with other women who'd come out of prisons and had no money to pay their service charge, how did they keep their place in that hostel?
3: Well, a lot of them ended up working as prostitutes, stealing or committing crime. And the hostel knew about this, the staff, but they kind of turned a blind eye as long as the women paid the service charge. Can
0: I just ask as a feminist sidebar... You're really people that I know take great care of a language and how people are represented. Um, normally, I would hear feminists say sex work mm. and you've said the word prostitution. It was a
4: discussion Helena and I had because, well, we run our work by each other and she was saying, um, you know, is the term prostitution appropriate really now? And we didn't know. But I mean, this is actually a really good example because we're doing an episode next week with sex workers and we're going to ask them. You know, because we don't have that lived experience and we haven't been
0: Yeah, we are saying it's not up to us to say that. So next week you'll have those answers because you'll have been talking to. And like, I love the way you really seem to spend time with people and you seem to really go out and find people and not just get given someone a PIR agency would give you or, or, you know, someone that's like, oh, Bob's got a mate, you know, like (laughs) you really go out and find people with who are impassioned and who are experts and who have lots to say, how do you go about doing that? Or is that asking your journalistic secrets? Yeah. <laughs> well. Wow.
4: No, but it's a good question to have because ultimately we want more people to be doing exactly that—going out and asking. It really varies, though, because for example, right now what I'm doing is pinpointing a drug dealer I can speak to. That is a very different I've method of community. Seen that on your Instagram? <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that. Tilda,
0: yeah, Tilda's <laughs> saying, um, "Any chance anyone knows any drug dealers? I promise it's for work." Uh, and yeah. <laughs>
3: also, yeah, if it's anyone an- knows any it's not for work for me. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm
3: very new to London. <laughs> I don't trust the stickers on the lamppost <laughs> I don't
4: know
3: what <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll hook you up Alison yeah. um,
4: sometimes there's a bit of coaxing involved isn't there because a lot of these communities oh, totally. are very disillusioned with T- so
2: sometimes um, it, it takes a lot for somebody to speak to us because yeah they've become so like disenfranchised from the mainstream media and I yeah I especially found that well in quite a few episodes actually I especially found that in the episode we did on trans rights because I think that trans people were so used to being approached for these kind of faux media debates on whether they exist or not that um, (laughs) I got some straight up no's until, you know, I spoke to them and and laid out that I understand the issues in the media and that's not what we're trying to do. Yes. Um, We found that... um,
4: People get scared, lost, minute. People get scared and, and back out.
3: Yeah, it's amazing you're talking about this, and like I just got so many memories coming back. I did an article about uh, street harassment. It wasn't about me being fat, but people harassed me on the street because I was fat. Like it was a reason of why they did it, and I kept getting called by a journalist for a full week. To go on a TV program to discuss the sugar tax with the Irish uh, Minister of Health, and I'm like, what is this anything to do with street harassment? And the uh, jur- journalist was like, yeah, you can tell him you're not going to take it anymore. And I've got no beef with the Irish Minister <laughs> of Health or the sugar tax. <laughs> I'm
1: like,
4: I just don't want to be called a fat bitch
1: yeah. on the street.
3: Yeah, priority
4: there. The fact they're calling you for a yeah. week when you yeah. like harassing you yeah. when the whole thing started with you being harassed shows that their priority isn't platforming your view. Their priority is them getting their professional It's kick. entertainment. <laughs> and it's entertainment, yeah. news.
2: is entertainment. So one of the main focuses of the podcast is asking these people with lived experience what the mainstream media is doing wrong and in what ways the mainstream media can improve on their reporting to report more responsibly.
4: Here's an example. We'll play you a clip um, with Paul Atherton, who is currently homeless.
0: Never, ever, 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 ever use the term the homeless. There is no such thing as the homeless. There are people experiencing homelessness. We are not an homogenous group. You know, we have diff- different political opinions, different backgrounds, different. Everything is different. It's never the homeless. Because in the minds of the public, if you use terms like that, they will immediately hear, "Oh, that's them. That's other. That's that's not me."
2: It's become such an us and they thing and one of the biggest reasons it's become like an us versus them is because the us, the people that are in the newsrooms currently are very often one type of person and until newsrooms are diversified... And not this kind of faux diversity where you're like, oh, we've got a black person, we've got an Asian person, BAME, yeah, cool, I think we're done. Yeah, Until yeah, it's yeah. an actual level of diversity, including working class people, yes. transgender people, yes. all across the LGBTQ plus spectrum, all across different genders, races, and not, and you know actual knowledge of the issues until we have those people and not those people bought in for an internship on 15K at the bottom for a year. Those people at the top, then, you know, this. people will still continue to be scared of talking to the media and it creates this vicious cycle where you just kind of can't come out of it because nobody wants to talk to the media and therefore those voices don't get heard and then when those yes. voices don't get heard we think one certain way and the s- s- cycle continues.
3: Yeah, because sometimes when I see like two white cis men debating something on the news I'm in my head I'm like oh they couldn't get anyone else to talk about this or whatever mm-hmm. and it makes me feel kind of like happy that it's just those two men that are on the study <laughs> yeah, this is- and that people aren't being thrown to the wolves.
4: <laughs> it's this like- is the thing that we have had said to us by some journalists or some mainstream news outlets that it's actually very difficult to get these voices because people are sceptical of journalists yeah, oh, yeah, you know, and... Firstly, that's just, if you're a journalist, that is literally your job. So I I don't think that that really, like I do understand why it's important when we're saying, oh, there are certain people that are not properly represented and stories that affect them. We should say that, look, journalists are under a lot of time pressure. Mm. And, you know, if you're trying to get someone to talk about something traumatizing, there's a lot of safeguarding to deal with. Certain communities are difficult to access. But if you are a journalist, that is literally your job. It's not okay to go and just do a subpar piece of journalism. Give it more time you know, build the trust, persuade someone why telling their story is something that they should do. And to do that, you have to find out what they would get out of it and actually make sure you're delivering that. Is this a product
0: of the 24-hour news cycle and the fact Mm -hmm. journalists paid a lot less and they're paid just to write a freelance story? And if someone's giving you like 300 quid... Should I tell you
4: what journalism is if you're sitting on that salary on that desk? You are... Literally regurgitating information that is already online in a thousand different places, rewriting it and putting it up on your news outlet's website so that they can slap their own ads on it and monetize it. You are taking releases from press agencies that give you the basic facts. If you're going to include quotes, it will be a tweet from Boris Johnson, a tweet from the CEO of some relevant charity. You can do that 15 minutes, the article's out. That's how most digital news is done. Because now
2: we're living in this kind of thing where if your story's one minute too late, it's old news.
4: Mm. Yeah, But I know, like, The Guardian, we had
0: The Guardian on, and Kath Viner talked about, like, Amelia Gentleman taking, like, 18 months to break Windrush. And had Amelia Gentleman not broken Windrush and pushed and pushed, and she said when she first went to, you can listen to the episode, it's on The Guilty Feminist, but she said when she first went to... MPs, no one was interested, just no weren't interested. And it wasn't until she broke the story and made a fuss about it. And a large majority of people in this country went, Oh, that's really wrong. Like that's really wrong. Because it seemed so repugnant to most people. Mm. Yeah. And it wasn't till that happened that MPs and MPs with cabinet positions started going, Oh, yeah, we care about this. Oh yeah. And Pretty Patel's going, Oh, do we <laughs> last thing we would have wanted, you know? And it's like, well. You did know about this, but it took a journalist 18 months to break it. Well, clearly, and I'm not saying The Guardian's perfect, and I know people have got issues with The Guardian on all sorts of things, but on that front, had Kath Viner not funded Amelia Gentleman a proper salary for 18 months to break it, it never would have happened. Yeah, Yeah.
4: and you do have this slow journalism movement you know tortoise media is a really Mm -hmm. great news outlet and Mm -hmm. and all these leading publications they Mm -hmm. will invest in some slow form investigative journalism but we don't think the balance is quite right and one of the things with the guardian and why the guardian can do that is they have a very different business model that does Mm -hmm. rely often on funding and donations from supporters it's less dependent on ad revenue as are most digital news outlets and so if you just look at the quantity of this short form, rapid digital news content compared to the long form investigations, which are the ones that ultimately make a really constructive policy difference. You know, there's just so much more. There's Mm. just... There is just so much of these digital articles that are coming out all the time and they are fear-mongering. They're sensationalist headlines. They, They exaggerate the threat that the migrant poses or the criminal poses or the trans person poses and they don't actually... Uh, yeah, yeah, and they distort the conversation in our head. They but give is us this because
0: a... we used to go and buy a newspaper? Children, when I was young, we used to go and buy a newspaper and we would pay for the news, literally, and yeah. they would sell ads in the news. But the main way that I think they made their money was we all paid for the paper. And now we don't pay for our papers, so now every article has got to also sell bikinis mm-hmm. or...
5: Yeah. Car wax yeah. or, if, if you're or
0: not health paying, insurance or, you're the product. or <laughs> holiday insurance or whatever. And so if you're not paying, you're the product. So that means, because I, I have um, Apple News on my phone, mm. and so it offers me a bunch of different stories, which I pay for Apple News. So it means that I don't have to pay for every paywall because they'll direct me to an article that might be in a publication I don't subscribe to, but about Ukraine and Mm. Russia invading Ukraine. So I'll get that. But I find it offers me a lot of stuff on the royal family. And I'm like, I don't click on stuff about the royal family. Why does it keep offering me this? And I think it's because so many people do. And I look at the royal family and I think, uh, someone said to me once, the greatest human rights argument about abolishment of the royal family is for those in it. yeah, Because their lives are being used... Absolutely, to sell fast fashion and uh, car insurance as entertainment. And this is not the main reason to move into a place that is, I think, beyond the idea that one family is more special than other families, Mm -hmm. but... That whole thing of Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle hating each other. Oh. It's such, yeah. I, don't, I have no idea and it's oh. none of my business. Sister-in-laws get on or they don't. I don't know mm. if who yeah. of my friends get on with their sister-in-law unless they tell me. It's none of my business whether they do or they don't. But what I do know, it's a confected soap opera yeah. to get clicks to sell shit. We and talk- every
4: time we click on it.
0: We yep. make it we worse.
4: Make, we talked about this a lot in the fat phobia episode that the very close economic relationship between the media and the diet and fitness industries and yes. the fashion mm. industries and how that, that business model works. They are
2: so intrinsically linked. It is when you really stop and think about it. So if there is an article about somebody's latest diet or somebody's latest, mm. um, weight loss or whatever it is, and then there is a picture of them, and then there is a link to the bikini that they are wearing in that picture, and then if someone clicks on the link, that outlet gets money. Yeah. And yeah. so it is in their interest to promote diets, to promote thinness, to promote clothes, and... and
4: it, The, the it, line between digital news and e-commerce is, is very thin. Well, what
0: are we going to do now? Because we need, you know, yes, there are Guardian... Like models around the world. I think the Washington Post has got a similar model, maybe. I don't know. But what are we gonna do if the news is now really just a billboard to sell shit? And therefore they need to make the news as newsy as possible. And I'm really careful about what I click on now, because if I click on something because I think I oh, just have a look, or I'm thinking I probably need to know, you know, as a feminist about what's happening with Prince Andrew, if I click yeah. on that, then I get 12 stories about Meghan Markle. Oh, and damn. I'm like it's you know, so hard. So so <laughs> Can I ask you, what are you doing at MediaStorm? And is anyone doing something similar? They must be. In podcasting, which is more or less a free, ungoverned space, are there any other ways to consume our news? Can you please tell us what do we do? Where is this new wave journalism? Direct us.
3: Yeah, we need some ethical consumption
0: of the mm.
4: news. Mm. Well, the consumers do have power now because, as you're saying, if you're looking at your Apple News app, deciding which story to click on, you are giving information both to Apple and to the news outlets about how to rate their stories. So every single page, we can see how many people have clicked on it, how long people have lingered on it. So for the first time, or to an extent like never before, consumers are shaping the news. Journalists now, are not telling people what we think they need to know. When this is a generalisation. We are telling people what we think they want to hear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the last days of
1: Rome. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Here's
0: here's
3: here's
2: something that that maybe we could do to make it all a little bit better. Yes, please. What we're trying to do yeah. <laughs> is promote a greater sense of empathy in the yes. news. Yes. Yeah. And to really try and put yourself in the position of somebody who that story is about. And obviously, you know, one of the ways that that's going to happen is by having the lived experience voices speaking for themselves, is having those people speak for themselves. But, you know, it can also come from the consumer. You can also pull that sense of empathy from within you and think about whether, you know, is this story, you know, developed for a culture war? Is this a real issue? Is this a real issue that matters to certain mm. minority mm. groups? Mm. Um, and also, you know, diversify
0: your newsrooms, for God's yeah. sake. But if listeners <laughs> are listening at home uh, who aren't running a newsroom... yeah. There'll um, be a few. <laughs> <laughs> listen, up to 40% of our don't run a news uh, and aren't related to Murdoch. So, listen, how, how do we, what do we do yeah. as customer pressure? Because if we are, in Absolutely. fact, customers of the news rather than receivers of truth, mm-hmm. Um, if that was ever a thing, which it wasn't, because again, as you say, it was always the POV of the majority voice, the dominant group. But what can we do? Can we put pressure on our? Absolutely,
4: yeah. People, journalists are not on the whole evil masterminds no, calculating how to preserve the power. Oh, structures. I don't like, think we will I don't blame listen. the journalists. Yeah, like, no. if they're
0: if you're there and you're on. It's very now. Journalists are paid so little. If you're if you're sitting there on a very small salary and you're being told get this story out, get this story out, get this story out, and you yeah. think oh, I would love to go out and talk to you know find I'm, and
4: source fifteen people who blah 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 blah, but my I'm boss is shouting at me. about mm. some of the stuff that has my name on it from the past. Now the more we do media storm, I think oh god, I did that, I did that. So. First thing, if you read an article or you see a news story on the TV and it's about disability and there isn't a single voice of someone in there who has ever actually lived with a disability, then contact the news outlet and Mm -hmm. say, hey, I think that might be bad journalism. You know, if you're a young reporter or journalist, don't be afraid to raise it with your editors. So it doesn't matter how junior you are um, or how... Isolated a consumer of the news you are, send that message in because someone will see it and that's how these things change. <laughs> I mean,
0: I genuinely have been blown away by media storm and beyond really I don't I'm apart from the you know first episode, I haven't had any editorial say or anything like that, but I continually get blown away by the things you're saying and the people you're meeting. Can I ask you what other outlets or podcasts or you know, even Twitter feeds or whatever, or is there anything else we should be reading, following, looking at? Do what? Who do you rate? Yeah, who who do you, the journalists, listen? The how how do you?
3: Who do you consume newswise?
4: I read this is every news outlet. I read everything, left to right. We try try and read everything, piece piece together the picture. And do you have any other recommendations of people who are doing something similar to you? So firstly, for every episode, we are releasing resource lists
2: on our social media. Each resource list that we release has recommendations of things to watch, to read, to do, people to follow, and advice for how to report on that topic if you are a journalist. Great. So for example, we did an episode on survivors of sexual assault. And in that episode, we spoke to some really amazing people. And they then have their own, you know, either podcasts or news outlets or campaigns or things Mm. that they're doing. And so we give you know, advice for people to see who they can follow and how they can support. Like Layla Hussain, who was on our episode, has a fundraising page for safe spaces for black women. Yeah. Which is really important mm-hmm. because, you know, people experience sexual assault in different ways.
0: So your podcast signposts uh, to other places that you rate, can we hear your trailer Drug lag. Body
4: shame. Criminals.
0: Refugees. That. Crazy.
1: Rape survivors. Vagrant.
0: The homeless.
4: Have you ever noticed that certain groups are spoken about in the media all the time, but never spoken to?
2: Or maybe you haven't, because it's so damn normal.
4: Media Storm is an investigative podcast from The Guilty Feminist that starts with the people who are normally asked last.
2: We've already heard revelations from refugees, Asian minorities, sexual violence survivors and transgender people.
4: Our next guests take us into their worlds of prisons, sex work, drugs and homelessness and onto the front lines fighting fatphobia and ableism.
2: I'm Helena Vodia
4: And I'm Matilda Mallinson.
2: And next on Media Storm.
4: If you tell somebody their whole life
0: that you're no good, what happens is they believe it.
4: It is disgusting the way they treat people. He said,
0: and I quote, I was fat.
1: All they tell me is what's wrong with me. I don't know
0: any different. So they wheeled me out in my wheelchair. I was just left there to die. Become abusive yourself.
4: Needles were being pushed in like more roughly. I was being handled
0: more roughly. He said that I got myself into this because I opened my legs. I kicked (laughs) off like a wild animal
3: because they put me in the shower, six of them, cold shower, washing me, scrubbing me because I was dirty. MRI scanners aren't big enough for overweight people. I've
4: struggled to get officers to speak on the record about what goes on in prison
0: we're literally not allowed to
4: advocates do
1: not need to be a voice for the voiceless we are empowered we are magic
0: stop censoring people i would love to know why the media asks the ceos of a homeless charity anything about homelessness i
4: feel
2: really um invisible is the media reporting on or creating the crisis
4: Plot twist. <laughs> it's not. I don't wait for the mainstream media to do anything.
3: Drug like
2: criminals.
0: That crazy. The homeless.
1: Hear our stories. We are the ones who have lived this. Our lived experience is leadership. We are the
5: experts. It's really simple. Just, just present both sides of the story.
2: Follow MediaStorm wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get access to new episodes as soon as they drop. If you like what you hear, share this episode with someone and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people discover the podcasts and our aim is to have as many people as possible hear these voices.
4: You can also follow us on social media at Matilda Mal, at Helena Wadia and follow the show via at MediaStormPod. Also get in touch and let us know what you'd like us to
2: cover or who you'd like us to speak to
4: media storm a new podcast from the house of the guilty feminist is part of the acos creator network
0: have you got anything to plug other than please listen to media storm and rate review and subscribe give it five stars Uh, and the more people who subscribe um, the longer we can keep it on the air and i think you'll agree it is a worthwhile show to have on the air and it's from the house of the guilty feminist so all you need to do is subscribe to it and uh, recommend that your friends subscribe to it and ideally rate it. And it really is worth five stars. And I say that genuinely, hand on heart
3: it's easier to say about someone else's <laughs> podcast I
0: mean, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's worth five stars as well. it's arrogant <laughs> shade about yeah. your own but I def- think the Guilty Feminist is worth five bless stars you. <laughs> bless you bless um, you
4: and send us any ideas that you want us to cover people Ooh. you want us to speak to I oh. already
0: have so many
4: that I'm to look after like
0: definitely yeah, absolutely so is there anything else you'd like to plug other than media Storm Podcast
2: yes yeah, so please follow us on all social media at media Storm Pod. the other thing I'd like to plug is that I have joined forces with the Charities Level Up and Ava to go into newsrooms and to talk to journalists and editors about how to responsibly report on domestic violence. So, if you are listening and you are a journalist and you think, hey, that'll be good for my newsroom, please get in touch.
4: And uh, after I imploded at my former employer, I set up an organisation called Refugee Media Centre. Sorry, this won't affect everybody, so I'll be quick. But firstly, if you're someone who has been displaced and you'd be interested in having a platform in the news, then just search refugeemediacentre.org and you can join our network. And if you're a journalist looking to speak to people with lived experience, we will help connect you to them.
0: Ah. Thank you very much. Both of those things sound really magnificent. Yeah. And I'm really proud and, and thrilled at the work you're doing. And And honestly... I'm admiring of it. Stop. Yeah, it's been Stop an amazing, it. amazing.
3: <laughs> it's been an amazing session. Like, Aww. genuinely, I feel I've, I've learned so much. I'm going to feel weird
0: plugging my stuff now. Well, <laughs> Alison, <laughs> have you got yes. anything world-changing to plug?
3: Well, uh, yeah, I've got uh, Instagram at Alison Spittle and uh, uh, Twitter. Also, I'm going to be in Edinburgh this year in the Pleasants, and it'll hopefully uh, be on sale by the time this podcast is out. I'm calling it Wet Deborah. Wet, yeah. Wet's Deborah. <laughs> wet
1: Deborah. Wet yes. Deborah. I would go see that. <laughs> You've got wet Deborah. I am going. This friendship is on
0: very shaky ground. I oh. I mean, it's why don't you deal. call it Wet Kim Kardashian? Yeah, Kim Kardashian?
3: I should. I should. <laughs> well, I was gonna. Yeah, you know, I was. I was two choices of what I was gonna call the show, and I think I've settled on it. The first one was gonna be Wet, right? Because it's about aqua aerobics oh. and and other stuff. I'm so excited. And, uh, the other one was. Of, of calling it Silent Wetness because it was about seeing a fight at, uh, at Aqua Aerobics. But you know, you get it, Silent, silent Wetness. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> As supposed to Silent
4: Witness. One yeah. of the names, one yeah, of the yeah, names yeah. when we were brainstorming, name for Media Storm. I Please tell me like, like it was Silent Witness. Helena. Wait, Silent Witness? That's got a really <laughs> good <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> And I went, yeah, babe, I think
0: we've heard that before. <laughs> um, very famous television show. I think they're going to so sue. annoyed. I think they're gonna sue if uh if you if you use that. Because everyone's, but also everyone's gonna think it's a uh, it's it's a companion piece to the television show. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll be like listening
3: for that podcast and they'll be like, oh well this is quite interesting yeah. actually, you know. So your um, show's
0: gonna be on sale very soon. It and is you, and it your
3: is. podcast is still going? Of course, yeah. A Wheel of Misfortune with mm. loads of other people. Fern is gone from the podcast, but still in my heart. And, oh. uh, it was such a nice time. We went to Northern Ireland a, uh, about a week ago, and it was good crack. And uh, we've we've different guest co-hosts uh, coming in. Also, my old podcast, Alison Spittle Show is coming back. And uh, with me and you are going to be in Vicar Street in Dublin. I'm very,
0: very excited about that. I mean, you know Vicar Street's my favourite venue in the world. I know. We're we're trying to get it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mm. The Vicar Street audience know how to bring a rock concert to a podcast recording. They
3: really do. (laughs) And it's on the 14th of March and you all should come. It'll be
0: like a wonderful reunion after the pandemic. We've got some fabulous surprise guests. We will announce them soon, but uh, you're going to be blown away. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guests Matilda Mallinson and Helena Wadia. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Salinsky. Thanks to Rachel Croft and Gina DC, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. <laughs> That's wrap. Like, can you tell us more about that?
4: Yeah, I just need to get over the momentary imposter syndrome of being connected to new wave journalism. Um. <laughs>
0: I, f- I feel if I had two men on here who had <laughs> this new cutting-edge podcast and said, tell us about new wave journalism, they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's actually a term that we've <laughs> yes, coined. Yes, it's yes, really yes. about the movement we've started. We're at the heart of the new wave journalism. <laughs> uh, and uh, we've been described uh, very much as, uh, as, as, as the Watergate breakers of our... <laughs> Of our generation. The wave
3: is <laughs> crashing in a water gate. Yeah. Oh exactly. yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And whereas what you're saying is, oh, uh, we are not sure. It's us. It is you guys. So <laughs> c- it is it is you two. Tell us. New wave journalism. Tell us what is what do you think is new wave journalism and why do we you- The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from
5: ACAST. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.